0: Happy Christmas, one and all, and welcome to this year-end episode of the week that really was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. Uh, we're recording this on the twenty-first of December. It is the shortest day of the year, and it is four four days to the big day. Sarah, how are you? How are you fixed?
1: Um, I'm getting there. I think um, it's like unbelievably stressful for a while, and then you start to kind of see the end light at the end of the tunnel. Well, so it's, the most,
0: it's the most stressful week of the year. I, I I have been to Limerick. Um, I I think about nine times this year in total i live about 15 minutes from limerick but i don't go in very often because i'm antisocial. but of those nine times i think like six have been in the last seven days and i, I think i still have to go again today and possibly again tomorrow to pick yep. up various bits and pieces and every time i come home i'm like right i'm done now And my wife reminds me of some other thing we have to get it's yeah. very annoying um, very uh, i,
1: I i'm going out tonight i have my ryan cousins big ryan palooza Um, And then I have a lunch with my parents, kind of an adults only thing tomorrow. So I have a few days now of kind of like, so I wanted to get everything done so I could enjoy it. Because I hate the feeling of sitting there and being like, oh, yeah, this is all lovely. But I'm still, you know, got 57,000 things to do. So I'm kind of, I'm pre-prepared. And I have 16 people on Christmas Day and Keith can't even peel a carrot. So it's all me. And so, yeah, but I'm getting there.
0: You got criticized a couple of weeks ago on this podcast because you said something about Keith. Um <laughs> I think you said that he was downstairs and there were hamsters running through his brain while you were worrying about all this other stuff, and somebody said it was a terribly misandrous thing to say. Oh, I don't sorry. know. I mean I, I don't think it is. I think I think I Well
1: first, first of all, I the analogy of a hamster running through his brain is one that he offers up himself. Like he laughs about the fact that you know, we'll be sitting there watching a movie and while we're watching the movie, I'll be writing something on my laptop and I'll be thinking about 17 different things and he will be thinking about the movie and nothing else. So, he himself describes his brain as like kind of like a hamster on a wheel.
0: Yeah, I, I have to say I'm the exact same and I mean, I, I, it's the most valuable time of day for me is like that those few hours in the evening where I kind of either watch TV or if, at the moment I, I'm, I'm really into playing football manager again, so I'm, I'm trying to Actually, and this year's you wouldn't know this year, but this year's edition of Football Manager, Football Manager Twenty Four, is really realistic in that managing Manchester United is actually really hard. It makes you sympathise with poor Eric Ten Hag.
1: Is this a game?
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, phenomenal game. Oh, okay. don't let Keith buy it. But, no,
1: like, not really much of a gamer. Like I, I used to be big into game, like big into games years ago. But not a, a, as much anymore. I'd be kind of afraid of how much time it would take up if I got back into it again but um he's never he was never really a gamer i was like i used to love games but um i didn't football manager actually a thing
0: oh it is it's it's in, it's and and it's in, it's incredible and it's one of those things that like people who play football manager you know you, you don't want to you don't want to draw other people into that circle because you you will cost them hours of their lives it's incredibly addictive <laughs> Anyway. Um, I we think
1: w- my friends that to me with Vanderpump Rules. So but, Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it, it being the last week of the year, just uh, housekeeping announcement, we're not going to have a podcast next week because we're both very busy with Christmas and probably most of our listeners are very busy with Christmas and it seems like a good time to have a break. So we'll be back uh, with another episode in the new year, which means that this episode is the one, I think, Sarah, where we look back at the year that's just been and come up with our, analysis of how it went and what we think of it um what was 2023 for you
1: like I think it was a weird year I mean I think that as you get older you kind of maybe you romanticize the past a little bit but I think this was the year overall where a lot of it didn't it, there was it didn't feel like there was that many huge 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 news stories but that under underneath it all I think was the year this was the year where things started to shift amongst the Irish electorate amongst the Irish people and people started to get a bit like tired and peed off with a number of of being with a number of issues but I think it's the year that we started to creak at the seams on what we were willing to put up with from government from you know the woke agenda from being told what to think what we can and can't say pretending like that things were cl- that that were clearly reality you know being told expected to pretend they weren't like you know um a man wearing woman faces, a woman, uh, or, you know, the, the increasing problem with violence in Dublin city center that we were just supposed to pretend these things were all real and true. And I think that people started to just get tired of it and that present that, that manifested itself in loads of different ways. But, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, the, the nonsense manifested itself in the fake AI story in the, in the, in the, uh, Irish times, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, But also I just noticed like anecdotally with people that you met, people just got really tired and not afraid anymore to be called transphobic. They didn't care. You know, there was a lot of protests outside bookshops or libraries about certain books. I think it's the it's the year that parents became, you know, truly sort of radicalized against an ideology that was being taught to their kids that they weren't comfortable with. And I think last year and the year before, the worst thing and the most scary thing was that someone would call you a transphobe. And I think that a lot of people stopped caring this year. Which obviously I'm, I'm for. But you know, I think that people, people woke up. Ironically, the woke, the, the non woke, became woke.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was I was looking before we did the podcast. I was looking back through all the things I, I've written over the course of this year, and I think I written a few hundred articles over the last year. But the first one I wrote uh, was on January the 12th. I obviously got late started uh, in 2023, but it was called the coming war on immigration protesters. And in that article, I, I wrote it because there was a poll on Virgin, the Virgin Media Tonight show um, in January of 2023, and it wasn't a scientific poll, but they asked their viewers, "What are your views of the immigration policy?" And 90 percent of people who texted into them said we disapprove, which was huge at the time. And also that week, there was um, a huge um, the the Labour Party and Simon Harris are both up in the doll saying that it was time for a proper crackdown on the far right and all these people who were protesting immigration. And I wrote this piece basically saying that by the end of the year, they will be trying to recast anti-immigration views as not a political issue but a policing issue. And like, I'm just reminded that this week, I'm not trying to say I was right because I wasn't totally right, but this is the week where we learned that the Guardi, I don't think I all this story during the week, the Guardi are going to be equipped with double-strength pepper spray and tasers to deal with uh, people uh, rioting or protesting uh, on the street if they're far right, so I think that sort of that gives you some sense of the trajectory of the year. Really. Um, yeah, in terms of in terms of where it went. Um, for me as well, like it was the year of kind of like where speech issues just really came to the fore. I was you, you know how you forget loads of small things that happened during the course of the year. So like the year started with. Um, do you remember Roald Dahl's books were republished, but like all the mean words were taken out?
1: God, I forgot about this. Yeah,
0: um, and and then we had uh, then we had Kelly Harrington, who I think went on was it was it off the ball on news talk, and uh, basically either didn't say or so, I think she tweeted something mildly sceptical about immigration.
1: I retweeted um, a story about um, the murder of. A young girl in France, I think it was, or yes. maybe Germany, was it? Who'd been beheaded. It was some horrific, remember, her mm-hmm. body was found in a suitcase or something. Absolutely traumatic and traumatic. And she retweeted a story about that. That was her, that was her big crime of the year, John.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, what was funny about that was that I think basically... She kind of had to apologize, and definitely later on in the year she did apologize, but at the time, there was an opinion poll taken showing that the public were on her side. I think forty percent of people in a behavior and attitudes poll said that she was right to say what she said, and only thirty one percent said she wasn't right um now th- and at that time, the sort of media and political establishment were still powerful enough to be able to say, right, Kelly Harrington, back in your box mm-hmm. I'm not sure that would would happen yeah. no. And on the no. trans on the transphobia thing you mentioned, um, do you remember around the time of the Eurovision where the Irish entry to the Eurovision, a band called Wild Youth, made a big song and dance of getting rid of their artistic director, a guy called Ian Bannum, because he had he had said something along the lines of you know men can't be women and women can't be men or something like that. So he was he was then ditched by the band uh, to sort of widespread establishment acclaim and they went on to finish bottom of their semi final as usual.
1: Well, too good for them. <laughs> too good for them. No, I'm just, I, it, it, I, I'm the same in that I just got tired this year. Even on the podcast, like I, there was, you know, I, I used to be kind of like, oh, I don't really want the hassle of, you know, saying something like, and, and you and I had conversations. It was a whole story about Budweiser and Dylan Mulvaney, if you recall. And I remember us having conversations about um, Matt Walsh in America, the the media guy and you know I don't agree with Matt Walsh on the fact that I don't like cruelty to any individually individual I don't think there's any need I don't need to um, augment my argument against um, some of the elements of um, how gender dysphoria is treated in children with being insulting personally insulting to anyone I don't need it I have a i I have a robust argument all by myself thank you um, so I don't like the cruelty but this, this was definitely the year where I just thought you know what I'm just this overhanging threat of being canceled and and whatever and that's you know that's why grip is 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 needed because you know like you can't be like you can't cancel people that like for having a, for what they say in a podcast anymore but you could have a couple of years ago and people were terrified for their jobs and i've had people literally this week say to me oh i listen to your podcast and you know I'd lo- i i agree with everything you say and i'd love to be able to say that but i work in a, in, in a job in education um a university-type job and I could never say anything like that or I'd lose my job. Like, the, I think people got really tired of that this year.
0: They did you know? Yeah. But in the first yeah. half of the year, I think, the, I think you can divide the year into sort of two halves because in the first half of the year, this stuff was still advancing. Like, I'm looking at a story here from April the 5th where the National Maternity Hospital had announced that um, In the National Paternity Hospital, you can now register your baby as male, female or other in order to accommodate people's sensitivities. Um, Mary Brosnan, who's the director of midwifery there, had told the Sunday Times that it's cultural change. We try to make sure that people are respectful of everybody's wishes and try not to upset anybody by using the terms male or female. If that's what a couple don't want to do, which was around about the time that Paul Murphy had uh, his firstborn child, whose gender remains publicly unknown. You know what?
1: Um, what I'd love to what I'd love to know is about this kind of nonsense. And I'm somebody who had three children in that hospital. I'd love to know how many children are being re- re- registered at other in a hospital in hospitals in Gaza at the moment. I guarantee you zero, because people who actually have real problems don't buy into this n- nonsense. A baby is a baby; it has a gender. I'm sorry, if they start to have a conversation with you when they're older about gender dysphoria or whatever, that's a whole separate thing. But a baby is a baby. Get a grip.
0: Yep, um, It's just it's-
1: absurd. And people, you know, like, people in, in those hospitals, you know, like, and I... My sister is a doctor and, and has worked in maternity hospitals and with uh, premature babies and different things. And my daughter was born early and, and was in the NICU. And while we were there, there was babies that died. And, you know, like maternity hospitals are the, it's one of the happiest places in the world. And they're also one of the saddest places in the world. And, you know, people who have real problems aren't concerning themselves with bullshit about other on a baby's birth certificate. Honest to God, like... I, I, you know, sometimes I just think it's it's like Manslow's theory of hierarchic needs or whatever. And at the top of the pyramid, when you literally have no problems, this is the kind of crapola you come up with. Mm-hmm. It's a baby. It has a gender. Sorry, it doesn't fit in with your politics, but it has a gender.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, but this was still advancing in the start, at the start of the year. And I think if you want to mark a turning point in the year, I'm going to argue a theory with you now. And a sort of turning point for sort of where, where the sort of political pendulum just started to teeter on the edge and think of it swinging back the other way. I would say it was in May when the hate speech bill was brought before the shant for the first time. Okay. Um, well. um, because that, when when I read through the sort of tone of sort of stories we publish over the years, um, the kind of, I mean, there's still the odd crazy thing that happened afterwards. Like the Irish Times publishing an AI article about fake tan and, that sort of that sort of stuff, but that was when I think the the first started to be real organized public pushback to this sort of thing, with 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 actually credible people starting to join it. Like I I think um, Michael McDowell's sort of intervention on the hate speech bill, for example, was sort of a very important moment in the year because it made people. I mean, I, I think what we do at GRIPT is very valuable. I think I think what people like Sharon Kogan do is very valuable. I think what people like Rowan Mullen do is very valuable. And we've had both of those people on this show. But uh, I, I think they obviously, like you and I do, we've a niche. But Michael McDowell is simply with a much broader audience. And he he steps in and he says, uh, actually, this hate speech bill is a load of illiberal nonsense. And the mm. momentum for it kind of stalls and starts to swing back the other way. And I think that is when suddenly it becomes kind of socially acceptable to say, I, I'm just sick of the cancelling of people um i know there's some listeners who'll say that it's not all mike McDonald and giving him too much credit but i, I, I i'm not giving him it's all never, the credit of course not it's never
1: any one thing it's always coming out. like i think like you know obviously you and i've you and i've had multiple conversations over years and years and years and i always say to you that sometimes things amuse me and my dad i have told you this before i've said this to you and another friend um that um you know my dad always says the amount of entertain, the amount of enjoyment or entertainment you're getting out of that is perverse it's perverse you know the way sometimes i'll just be so amused by something so i'd be lying if i said that the irish times ai thing didn't amuse me absolutely to my to my bones and it did but also apart from that it was f- that it was funny and everything it was really important as a moment because On the one hand, the story was so absurd. And for people who don't remember, it was about whether wearing fake Irish women, wearing fake tan was cultural appropriation. It was so absurd that it gave a space for people to say, OK, this kind of woke nonsense has gone too far. But it was also amazing because it was still believable as a story that might have been published because that's how far things are going so it created this space where people could safely come out and say this has gone too far i'm going to come out against this without having the fear of cancellation but it had also still been published so even though it was all but you know even though it ended up being by ai and that's all very amusing and whatever it it was published as a concept it got through you know what i mean it got through whatever you know um whatever well, editor it was,
0: it was it was it was actually published very soon after the Irish times appointed a new opinion editor a lady who had yeah. been the first ever Jennifer O'Connell who had been the first ever editor of the journal and i think it was in like her first week so God. she had a she had a, a bad start uh, I, I, I like Jennifer on a personal level she's a very nice and personable human being but like she she comes from a very particular perspective and that kind of article i would argue tickles that perspective and um, so she, so, and I think you're right. I think there was sort of an ideological predisposition to, to publishing that article.
1: Yeah, of uh, course. Like it was off the wall, but it wasn't that off the wall. It didn't come out of, it didn't like exist in some vacuum. Like it came, it came, it was, it was standing on the shoulders of giants. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it had loads of precedent and other things that made it believable as a story that the irish times might publish and a conversation that su- that certain types of people might say this is a conversation we need to have it isn't so yeah. like it was it was it was a turning point in itself i think
0: yeah as a, a turning point for for another reason as well i think because i was looking yesterday at the new Eurobarometer figures that just came out on sort of attitudes towards the European Union and general social attitudes in Ireland, and the the last poll was taken in the spring, and this one, um, there was a question in this one when asked if they believe the national media in Ireland provides information free from political or commercial pressure, only sixty percent of Irish respondents now agree, which is a marked decrease from the sixty eight percent in spring. So, mm. like, like, I know that sounds small, but it's actually not small. That's a huge shift in a year. The collapse in, in confidence and the increasing collapse in confidence of the mainstream media in Ireland is, I think, another thing that started to accelerate this year, both because of the Irish Times AI article and probably more importantly because of the absolute mess that happened in RTE this year and the collapse yeah, of TV license. But I,
1: but I also think that, like, o- over time, you know, people... Um, increasingly noticed the widening gap between what was being painted on RT and in 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 newspapers about the reality of, of life in Ireland and what was actually being presented to them in their day-to-day life mm-hmm. you know what i mean like like i uh, there was countless conversations about around halfway through the year when there was a, an american tourist kicked nearly to death he was in a coma uh, in i think it was was at the top of pier street or somewhere around there Was quite near to that Garda station, and then there was the guy we've discussed before. I think he was Ukrainian, coming from the theatre, and they bit these group of people round on Math and cigar and they were biting him and they beat him up, whatever. And and at the time, I remember there was all this like, you know, the government and everything saying Dublin is a safe place and isolated, whatever. But that was directly in conflict with conflict with what I personally was seeing with my own eyes when I went into town and that exists for everyone. So the government and the media were saying one thing, but ultimately over time, people just were like, this isn't the truth. Mm-hmm. And why are we not allowed to have conversations about the truth anymore? Because they didn't um, see it. They didn't do you,
0: see do You know, I don't like talking about rival podcasts on this show but I, I will, uh, and when I say rival, they're much bigger than us, they have a bigger audience than us. But I was, I was watching the Indo Daily yesterday doing their review of the year. And I was struck just by some of the the attitudes because they're they're very they're very very good outlet first of all, but secondly they're they're very mainstream. And they okay. were doing their review of the year, and they were and they had um, Hugh O'Connell and Gabriella. Um, I can't remember her second name. She she's, a, she's one of their political uh, correspondents, and they had a couple
1: Hugh of, O'Connell is a um, political activist.
0: Yeah, <laughs> political correspondent. Sorry. sorry, I presume that was a that was an inadvertent slip, but. Um, Funny one, but an inadvertent one. Um, they uh, they were talking about sort of the performance of the government. And they, they spent about five minutes talking about what a great job Michael Martin had done as Minister for Foreign Affairs. And it strikes me that this is sort of the difference between the media as it now is and where the public are. Because I don't think the public give a fig about how Michael Martin has done as Minister for Foreign Affairs, or necessarily think he's done a great job. But in sort of the journalist media bubble, there's this sense that ministers get judged on sort of like
1: performance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Rather than achievement, you know, how is he performed? It's more like, it's like, it's like judging actors on a stage. Um, whereas I think if you look at, if you look at, you know, how Hall Martin performed? Well, he's the leader of, he's the, he's the deputy prime minister of the country. He's the, Thánhle, he is the leader of the largest party in the government in terms of seats. Um, he's, one of those powerful political figures in the country on his watch this year the country has kind of descended descended into discontent anarchy and chaos to the extent that we now have asylum centres being burned before people move in riots on the streets so I don't know if you're a political correspondent how you can sit there and go well he's had a decent year in foreign affairs we're, think, having,
1: we're having a referendum on reduce, removing the word woman from the constitution John so let's not pretend the year was a
0: complete watch out <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's that's kind of the attitude that, that kind of is is you know, pervades. And I think it's I think it's one of the reasons that I mean the other thing is in that Eurobarometer bowl I'm talking about, this has been the year when we have heard relentlessly about people need to be worried about misinformation and disinformation and fake news and social media online. And the number of Irish people who agree that social that information on political affairs from online social networks cannot be trusted is actually down ten percent since spring twenty twenty three. So more people are actually getting their news now. From these online networks, at the same time as they're being told that they're full of disinformation and misinformation and fake news, which again I think speaks to that's a very similar figure to the eight percent who no longer trust the media. So there's your shift, like it's actually happening before your eyes. People switching off RTE, switching off the Irish Times, and moving over to to other sources. And some of them, based on our own readership figures, have come to us. Not all of them, but you know, it's 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 it, it's undeniable that it's happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting i often remember years ago somebody um in media and comms quite high up in um politics um saying to me i was saying oh you know they did they 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 were i don't want to i don't want to make them identifiable but basically they you know had a very senior job in communications in in, in politics and i said Oh, you know, how do you like it? Or what was I talking about? And he, or what, how, like, do you enjoy it or whatever? And he said, um, Oh, you know, like, it's, it's, like, I love it. It's, you're, you're at the center of everything. Like, you know, what's happening in politics is kind of all that matters, or something he said. And I often think about that and I think there's the kind of mistake right there, that kind of attitude, because ultimately, like, I have lots of people in my life, like relatives and, and, and other people who, honestly, if you tell them, they, they don't even know halls not the teacher. They, they don't care. Like, they, they care about their lives and what's affecting their lives and mm-hmm. the day-to-day. And, you know, my dad always used to say, like, can you, like, afford to, to pay all your bills, go out, like, one, you know, for a couple of drinks on a Friday and go and bring your family on one holiday a year. And if you can, you know, you'll be happy. And this year, that became a bit further away for a lot of people. And I think that... You know the 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 day to day the the impact of government dis- government policies started to infringe on people's day to day more this year in terms of immigration and things like that. The government's willingness to acknowledge or talk about that became less so, and people just became more and more angry. And I think that. It's all very well for political activists or correspondents or whatever they are this week to be sitting around talking about what a great job Micheal Martin has done as Minister for Foreign Affairs. But I don't think that that is the feeling of people on the street. And I think that ultimately people have become really disillusioned and enraged with our political classes. And the last people to figure that out will first be the political activists, activists that they surround themselves with and secondly be them on polling day.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you're entirely correct. And I, I think this is the, I mean, as I say, the hate speech bill, I think, marked a turning point in the year. Because as I go through the stuff I I, I I wrote, but there's more people who started, like, openly challenging them. I was drawn to a piece I wrote in, um what date was it? It was August, early August, where Gerald Crockwell, who was a very sort of quiet, you know, mild-mannered senator, basically stood up in the doll, and, sorry, in the Senate and gave this huge rant about Tenny, uh, the Transgender Equality Network and the, their role in, in sex education, and uh, he got attacked and savaged for it, as you might predict. But it didn't it didn't impact him at all. He basically said, "Look, this is all nonsense. We need to abolish the, the 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 gender recognition act." And he survived. And I think a couple of years ago, he wouldn't have survived. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then the other thing that I thought was significant on on that particular debate was that it was around about that time. Do you remember this? Most people have forgotten this. Elon Musk sent a tweet where he basically said, um, calling somebody cisgender on, on my platform is now going to be considered a hateful hate speech slur. Um, cisgender, by the way, for those who don't know, is is basically what, you know, it, it's the gender identity you're perceived to have if you're just a normal person. So Sarah and I are both cisgender because I'm a man with a penis and she's a woman with ovaries. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I was uh, like, where
0: is he going with this? Yeah, okay, well, you this is your gender. What, what word
1: cisgender. is he going to use? Okay.
0: This is gender. Yeah, you're one of those you're one of those old fashioned women.
1: I'm one of those old school women with a uterus.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Not not like the upgraded versions. Um so yeah. so, so I mean like in the second half of the year, this kind of pushback started to accelerate, and I don't think that was disconnected, Sarah, to um, the other thing that, things that happened. We have to mention the the Ashley Murphy trial and the trial of Yusuf Polanyi up in Sligo, and and sort of like where where, where, where sort of people's exasperation started to get focal points to focus on. I'll put it that way, um, where they, you know, I think the I, I think the sort of I think huge damage was done in the trust of. Of the media and politicians by um, Ryan Casey, Ashley Murphy's boyfriend, in the second half of the year when he when he gave that victim impact statement and then was roundly ignored, but everyone heard it anyway.
1: And people know and people saw what they did. Mm-hmm. People noticed that it was on, you know, RT News at lunchtime and then gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like they 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 saw it out for what it was and they didn't like it. And then that makes people wonder what else they're doing that with, you know. Yeah. And it's the same with it with. The riots and everything. There's just there's one there's one way of thinking, and everything else is, alright. I think also, it's funnily enough. I think it's the year it will be. We'll look back on it in the year where the term far right started to become, you know, synonymous with nothing. But, well, a I, joke, a joke. Yeah,
0: and like, like if, I I can't. Everyone far right. I
1: like I, I I think that you know that used to be, like. You know, right wing, left wing, used to somewhat mean something, and I think that they have accidentally shot themselves in the foot by diluting it so much and including so many people in it potentially that it now means nothing. And I, uh, that's something that I find.
0: Well, really it's something, I, it's something I've noticed this year. Um, as I uh, and I, I said, I'm anti antisocial, so I don't, I don't go out that often. But when I go out now, um, for the first time really in my life, I've got people coming up to me, um regular normal people or people I might know m- vaguely like distant relatives or whatever who I meet and they will say to me now you're far right but they will mean it and they will transparently mean it as sort of like oh you're one of them dangerous far right fellas like they're taking the piss not of me but of the government when they say it Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's and that's uh, and that's a, it, like it has become a kind of a kind of a joke in, yeah. in a sense my dad used a joke now about you know like in, in
1: you know if my brother asks a question about something, he'll say, Oh, you're hanging out with those far right at Mal'ite. You know, this has become kind of a joke.
0: Yeah. And, 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 uh, like, even, I mean, do you remember RTE introduced this character into Fair City? Far right, Fergal. <laughs> <Virgil. laughs> do you remember that? Uh, like, that, that. I never was... actually
1: watched it, but I love, I love that kind of Irish thing. Like, I just love it.
0: But it was supposed to be kind of, it was one of those ones where I think Fergal was supposed to represent like in the most hammed up fashion, the kind of like the dangers of misinformation. And if you, if, if you, if you aren't careful, you might start thinking like this Fergal fellow in Fair City. And I think the number of people who said to me, he makes a lot of sense. It was really yeah. funny. It was, it was kind of backfired. Um, and so and of course it's like,
1: like a kind of a video trying to teach teenagers about, you know, sex or something. It's just like they, they do it so clumsily that it becomes comedic.
0: Yeah. Um, I suppose um, the other thing that that kind of I want to talk about this year that that is in terms of the actual politics of the country, like it was the year for me where 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 Fine Gael started to come apart at the seams, um, and I mean in terms of like all their TDs who are not going to stand at the next election, um, like there are a lot of politicians now people in the people like in the establishment who are just bailing out, saying oh, I'm not going to do this again. People like. Elder statesman like Charlie Flanagan on the one hand, but then like younger people like the guy we both know, John Paul Thielen. Um,
1: yeah. Do you know what? But, but, but why? I mean, it's like, it's like anything. Like, why would you, why would you bother? Like, I, I, like a, a lot of people, like, like I was obviously in politics. You've run before, you know, I wouldn't do that again.
0: No, it is funny. I mean, like,
1: it's, it's, it's and it's not, and it's not because, I mean, It's not because people say, oh, you know, there's a lot of abuse and all that. And that's fine. Uh, It's nothing to do with that, actually. It's to do with the fact that, like, ironically, you know, if you take, like, there was elements of politics. I came from a family of a a background in politics. And, like, that's fine. And people, you know, will always say dynasties and all this kind of stuff. And and, and, and fair enough. But at the same time i also know a lot of doctors whose parents were doctors i know a lot of lawyers whose parents were lawyers i know a lot of taxi drivers whose dad was a taxi driver and so on and so forth and i think that if you're exposed to something from a young age or whatever you're naturally inclined to be more interested in it but also when i wasn't in politics anymore and and i, I was no longer doing anything like there was lots of things about politics that i didn't miss at all and my life became so much like happier and and less anxious and and freer. But one of the things I did miss about politics um was the what I'll call the element of advocacy. I loved the fact that like you know, when you're a counselor, like that, somebody would come to you, particularly in the southeast inner city. So there was a lot of housing queries and stuff like that. That, like, somebody would come to you, and you know, they'd come to you with this problem in their life. The state and the organize the different like elements of the state just seemed like this really big intimidating machine to them. And the problem that they were coming to you with, let's just say it was housing, is the biggest, most pivotal, central issue in their life right now. And I loved the element of being able to advocate. For that person within that system that you understood and they didn't, or they found intimidating, I loved that, and I missed that when I wasn't involved in politics. And a, a lot of things in politics are just faff and noise and whatever. But just that like really small granular element of it, I loved. And then later in life, when I was no longer involved in politics, I and I went back and I I I became a barrister and and you know went to the King's Inns and did the bar or whatever, and that has. Now, like for me, the element of advocacy has returned in a much easier, much less, you know, much less volatile environment for me. And then I also the other element of politics that I liked was I liked talking about ideas. I liked, you know, thinking about, you know, like how you would kind of design a a a, a, a future that would address things that impacted people's lives or, you know, made their lives better or whatever, or even just like having conversations about big topics and like, who are we? Who do we want to be? Where do we want to go? What do we want our society to look like? What's working well? What's not working well? And the last thing is, John, that like this podcast, I was talking about this to somebody during the week who's still involved in politics or whatever, and he was like, you're free. I don't have a whip. I can say whatever I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I didn't change my opinions when I was no longer involved in politics. I had these opinions, but you can't just come out of your Fianna Fáil counselor or whatever and say, well, actually, I don't think that that's racism that those people are protesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's because you just get annihilated. And then your party, like, uh, mm-hmm. headquarters rings you up and you get bitch slapped into next week and everyone's annoyed you, whatever. So, well, on can, that, on I, that, I, don't I don't know. I, I, freedom. I'm free. On and that, I, I want—I
0: know. I know it's a review of the year podcast, but on that very subject, I mean, obviously, this week we've had two Fenafol councillors, um, down in Galway, basically come out and say about the matter of the hotel being burned uh, last week uh, or catching fire. I don't,
1: I don't know this. I don't know I have any information on any. No one's spoken to me about that specifically whatsoever. But I can guarantee you, I can imagine what kind of phone calls they got.
0: Yeah, well, this is this is true, but I—I I wonder. I want you know. I think. There was—I remember back in about two thousand and two. There was a particular Fianna Fail TD. I won't name him for 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 both legal reasons and, uh, but but people who were around then might r- recall this. But there was a particular Fianna Fail TD. He was based in Cork, and he would come out a- about six months before every election and say something like, "And I- I—I I mean this genuinely racist," like, <laughs> And and I remember talking to another Fianna Fail TD at the time who I was very close to. And uh, obviously, the Bertie Hearn would have to condemn him, and Charlie McCreevy would have to condemn him, and all the rest. And the uh, the other Fianna Fáil cynic, said, "Oh well, that's he's he will top the poll now on foot of that." And, yeah. and of course, he went on and did that. And I will And that was in two thousand and two. That wasn't in in twenty twenty three. And the things he said, by the way, uh, were were much more, as I say, <laughs> objectionable than anything anyone has said this week. But. Uh, I wonder whether those two councillors. I wonder if Fianna Fáil actually has the power to discipline them. Yes, they can kick them out of the party, but I think that would be a mistake because I think they'll end up topping the poll as independents.
1: Yeah, no. I, I think the problem for Fianna Fáil, and it's not just a Fianna Fáil problem, but uh, but uh, but I speak to more Fianna Fáil people than any other party. I think that the kind of the old contract that existed between party leadership and people on the ground, whether they were worker bees or whether they were councillors or whatever, is broken. And unfortunately, like there's just if like the the people on the ground who've been expressing concerns and about issues for, I'd say, roughly 10 years have been ignored consistently. They voted certain things for certain things at and that's just been ignored by party leadership. And I think that that contract is broken. So you can't chastise people who you haven't been listening to in the same way. Mm-hmm. You'll ring them up and you'll give them this and you'll give them that. But ultimately, there's definitely a, a, like a, a a broken contract there for the party and it makes them more difficult. In saying that, there's still a majority of people in in all parties who would be afraid of their life of the heat they'd get from the media and from their own party to, to speak honestly about a lot of things, and that's one of the elements of politics that I don't miss in the slightest.
0: Yeah, I'm the same I, as you said. You, I think main thing is you stood in two elections, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I stood in one, and I think it is something that everyone should do <clears throat> once, but it's not something I have any particular desire to do again because it's um, it, it does give you an appreciation into. Even the people who you vastly hugely disagree with, they they, they they put in huge effort to get elected, and they they, you know, they...
1: And I, and I and I don't think I I think that you know it's it's a it's a huge life experience. You learn so much from it. Like when I was running a business and I used to hire pe- people, I I had an and 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 an, not, not just from one party. I really had an affection for hiring people who had run an election and lost because I think that that kind of that experience and that kind of hunger that that gives you and all kinds of things that that does to you is is really good for you if you can do it um but it's a it's a it's a difficult thing you know to do um and people are People can be horrible and people can be really nice and people can surprise you. And sometimes the people you think 100% nailed on to vote for you won't. And the person you think argued with you for 45 minutes and disagreed with everything you thought ends up voting for you. So it's kind of a funny thing like that. But I think if you're a Fianna Gael TD or you're a Fianna Fáil TD, especially if you're in both of those parties, I think have problems with. If you're not in any kind of ministerial position or what, what have you, you're utterly ignored and pointless. Would you be arsed? sitting there as kind of cannon fodder for the next decision that somebody who doesn't listen to you makes or would you go off and get paid more money for less hassle in a job that you know isn't completely precarious every four to five years mm-hmm. i don't blame them and the people we know friends we have in common who've lost their seats uh are they happier
0: yes <laughs> In, you better uh, believe it they, they might not say that publicly but the ones i know are they uh,
1: are they are they financially better off yes. yes are they is their life simpler yes like i mean it's like a joke mm-hmm. so i think politics is wonderful and it's great and you know people the people who do it you know i even though i disagree with some of them and agree with it that they all deserve you know praise for doing what they do but blame someone for in their 40s deciding I'm not going to be a lifer here I don't want to do this until I'm 65 not for a minute do I blame them absolutely like Owen Murphy where, where's he gone
0: I don't know but I'm sure he's getting less abuse wherever he is
1: less abuse more money I'm sure I mean I don't know but I imagine more money less abuse and a nicer life
0: um, hard to argue with that John it is uh, and it's also politics is a very fickle business because I was just looking back I mean Joe Biden, when he came here, it was obviously at a much higher level than the average Irish politician uh, in April, got a hero's welcome. It was like a varsity homecoming. Do you remember everywhere he went, there were, you know, uh, it was, you know, women throwing, well, not underwear, but things at him and, and, and you know, God. people bowing down. And it was. It, it was, was men
1: like, trying underwear, ever, like, transphobic bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd get that reception if he came back now, though. But um, that's
1: one of the things that I get perverse entertainment out of because people there's a, there's the there's the there's the party line about things and people and countries and situations and then no one ever like they just run with it and no one ever digs into it like joe biden's attitude and approach to israel has been this way always yes so just yeah. because you weren't paying attention to what he thinks about other stuff when you were falling all over him nine months, that's your. That's on you.
0: <laughs> it's very funny. I, was, I read a piece in the Irish Times this week. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was along the lines of, you know, Joe Biden is damaging his legacy. No, <laughs> I don't think he is. I think his legacy yeah. is always particularly consistent on that topic. It's just that in Ireland, as you say, the party line was he's coming here. He's a returning oh. hero. He beat Trump, you know. Uh, he wouldn't get that reception anymore, and that's uh, and the reception. I thought. I mean, I hope we can maybe. At the time, I remember. I'm generally not afraid to write what I think, but that particular week, I remember being actually kind of afraid to write what I thought, which was that it was a bit embarrassing. Yeah. Because um, it was. It was. It was more than a little bit embarrassing. It was. It was not a state visit. It was kind of like a, a kind of. It, 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 it was embarrassing. An
1: operation or something. Yeah. yeah it,
0: it, was, it was. It was. It was. It was. It was strange. And then. And then, of course, it, it's just like clipped on a lid now um
1: this expectation like how ridiculous to expect that like someone is either that things are so black and white that someone is either you know you're absolutely wonderful and hero and then i find something that i disagree with you on like we've i said this on the podcast before like i don't agree with myself six months ago do you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. why would you have this like make these absolute icons out of these politicians and then for them to fall you're only asking to be disappointed like it's much easier to just have an approach where like you, you and I have had this conversation before like I don't agree I I don't agree with Donald Trump I wouldn't vote for Donald Trump but I'm able to say without cringing in my shoes that Donald Trump wasn't wrong about every single thing that he did
0: no He's transparently and, right, but lots of things, like for example, NATO funding by Europe, he's transparently but right,
1: able, right. But you're able to hold two seemingly conflicting thoughts in your head at the same time. Would I vote for him? Do I like him? No. Is he ro- was he right about X, Y, Z? Yes, that's fine. But if he, like, if you absolutely make this big song and dance about how wonderful and perfect people are, well, sorry, it's your own fault when they disappoint you, and you didn't even bother reading into him that much because his opinion on Israel, the American president's opinion on Israel, has been absolutely glaringly obvious forever.
0: Yes. Oh, what's funny is the people who intend to vote against him in next year's election <laughs> um, foot of it who are going to end up helping to re-elect Donald Trump if that's what they do um, who is 100 times more pro-Israeli. Uh, in fact, moved the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in contravention of uh, international law or international convention as I prefer to call it because no one enforces international law. But esoteric point. The, 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 this is the this is one of the problems with with democracies is that people people like they vote out of anger and emotion and don't don't think things through oh. but um anyway i suppose uh, at this stage having thoroughly analyzed the year that's just passed uh what do you think will happen in the year to come
1: i think that Sinn Féin are making moves towards being a bit more anti-immigration mm-hmm um, I think
0: that just on that before, like I, I was, I, I was wrote a piece today, of course, published on Thursday of this week. Which uh, uh, did you see Mary Lou McDonald's interview with Pat Leahy in the Irish Times? Um, no, I saw it two weeks
1: about it, though Yeah, it cool. was,
0: it was very funny because she, she, she said some things on immigration. Like she, she basically said we have to apply the rule book. Um, if you're coming here from a third or a safe country, you shouldn't be allowed in. If somebody doesn't qualify, they have to leave the jurisdiction. And there needs to be an end to this idea of self-deportation.
1: More uh, far-right rabble-rousing. John.
0: But I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, she's sorry. not she's not very far away there from the political platform of the Irish Freedom Party. Or to what so, I mean, they might be a little bit more hardline, but not much. I mean that that is quite hard. Also, stuff. John,
1: not far away from what everybody, like for most people, are secretly saying.
0: Yeah. So I mean i think if, if they if they run on that and emphasize it now, I think it remains to be seen that they'll run on it and emphasize it or whether it's just a line to use to the media, but not to make I think they'd be very reluctant to make immigration the centerpiece of their campaign. But I think yeah. it's And do also that, I
1: think sorry to interrupt you, but I also think it's arising that they were clearly beginning to get heat in their localities. There was a video in Donegal, you know, there was it was the rubber was starting to hit the road on their on their avoidance of this. So I think it might be just a placeholder to kind of like for it so that their guys can go back to their constituencies and their councillors in the local elections can say, well, this is our opinion and Mary Lou said this and it's just to hold on to what they to their base or whatever. But or they might actively work work towards it. I think today, Peter Casey, you know, coming out, he's obviously running for president again. He's coming out with some extremely strong, like kind of out there stuff on immigration like that. All immigration should immediately be frozen, including EU. I mean,
0: OK, but so that for the record is not legal. Um, yeah, I think it's important not to misinform people yeah. and the president couldn't do it. I like Peter, but let's be quite clear about this. Uh, president couldn't do that. And even if the president could do it, it would be illegal under uh, the laws that we signed up to.
1: Yeah, so. but the problem the problem is, and again, l- reflecting on the year, the president was never traditionally involved in any kind of conversations about any of these types of topics until Michael D started sticking his oar in on multiple different things. And he has now set the precedent for the president being able to do this kind of stuff. And it was all very well for everybody who agrees with every single thing that Michael D. Higgins says. But I'm sure they'll exercise the same lack of intervention when the future presidents come out and talk like this. Will they? Well,
0: no. I think if there was a presidential election this coming year, I think the establishment, should be, establishment will be shitting themselves. Because the, the thing is, Michael D. has not only created a presidency where you can speak out, he's created the presidency as this kind of kind of rhetorical check on the government yes. on issues. So it is now the office that you can elect somebody to who will kind of speak out against the political establishment. And Michael D. does that on things like Israel and Gaza or housing or whatever it is. But, you know, if, if the top issue becomes immigration and Irish people think, oh, well, we can have a president who's going to speak their mind and speak up for us on issues. they they might regret that president sooner rather than later. And I think they're very lucky that that election isn't scheduled until 2025. Um, I presume you don't think there'll be a general election in 2024? There could be, but...
1: There could be. I don't think so. Like, I'd be be very curious to see how these local elections play out. They're soon, like that's six months away. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of... I, I think traditionally Irish people have always... The Irish electorate have always kind of used local elections as a kind of a whipping um, for the government. Um, I think that the the foot soldiers of uh, the main parties, particularly the Greens and stuff, are going to get a really, you know, like the they're going to get a hammering, and it's going to be
0: brutal for them. So, yeah, I wonder what will happen. To people like Hazel Chu, because um, I mean, people forget that Hazel Chu, who's kind of become this this hate figure for a lot of people. I think I think actually unfairly in some respects. She can be very annoying, but I think the think degree of hate is over the top. But people forget, she got the, the highest single vote of any councillor in the country in the last local elections in 2019. She's up again this year. I think there's a real chance she loses her seat. Um, and, and I think that'll be shocking for a lot of kind of progressives, not, not her case specifically, but I think there'll be a lot of progressives who kind of have lived in this country. They're in their kind of late 20s, they lived through the marriage referendum. They lived through repeal of the eighth. They've lived through this electoral era of absolutely unquestioned liberal progressive dominance who are suddenly going to see somebody like, and I'm not saying it'll it will be him, but something like Derek Blige down in Cork suddenly shockingly winning a seat from nowhere and, and get a real shock to the system. Um, so I think the local elections will be, be fascinating. Um, I'm, wor- I'm wondering, though, if there isn't a case, if you're the government, to hold the general election Honor before the same day as the local elections, for the simple reason that the local elections could have huge implications for the next shannon because mm. uh, councillors elect senators, and yes. if they if they feel they're going to lose a whole load of council seats in the in the um, in the local elections, then that means they will lose a whole load of shannon seats in the next senate election, and which means there'll be a lot of TDs who might be looking at the shannon as sort of a way out, who will suddenly find that a less attractive proposition, mm. but the election has to be held before i think uh, february of 2025 so there's a there's a, there's a not it's not impossible that there'll be one this year
1: yeah it's, it's 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 very possible i think i think events will you know you just wouldn't know what's going to happen in the next couple of months i think hate speech bill things like that like there's just there seems to be a kind of a momentum around discontent mm-hmm. and so whether well,
0: i'm going to make, make a i'm going to make a prediction up. Yeah, go on. The hate speech bill will not pass.
1: That's, Ooh, that, that's, that's
0: right. Yeah, I, 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 I just don't think I, I, I talk a little bit. I, I'm not going to pretend that I'm on intimate terms with the government, parliamentary parties, or anything like that. But I, I talk to enough um, politicians to know that there is absolutely no political appetite to pass this thing outside of the, the zealots. Outside of the sort of, ironically, there's more more hunger for it on the opposition benches than there are peanutball and pinnegale benches. I think there's a real sense that Helen McEntee as Minister for Justice is in trouble and needs to have a good year. Um and one way she could have a good year would be focusing on actual issues of justice and crime and law and order rather imagine, than imagine. I'm to pass this stuff. Hmm?
1: Imagine what a what a what a concept.
0: It would be, yeah. But uh, that's not to say that she'll do that. I note that her special advisor, Faith Kelly, is leaving her. So so clearly she's going to get new advice um in the new year. Mm. I'm not I, I'm not suggesting that Faith Kelly, who's a a fine gentleman had anything to do with her policies or anything but I wonder whether new advice might freshen up her approach I I, I have a hunch the hate speech bill will go nowhere because it's also attracted about, this kind of coalition of international uh, <clears throat> opposition as well
1: What about the referendum?
0: Hmm. I think they'll both be defeated
1: Referendums
0: yeah yeah. I think they'll both be defeated I think the, the government I, I mean Neil Richmond a couple of weeks ago went on Virgin Media and basically linked the family one to immigration saying that it would be easier for more people to come here if we if we pass that referendum. He seemed to present this as a positive. I think that's all voters will need to hear to be able to use that as sort of a proxy vote on immigration. <coughs> and I think uh, if they see one referendum in a negative light, I think the nature of voters is that they won't they won't do much thinking in terms of differentiating the they'll say about the other one is just more of the same nonsense and they'll use it as a protest vote. And yeah. I think the government will be absolutely fine with that, by the way. In fact, I think they might even be counting on it.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think that this, the, this, the story around why to vote yes is robust enough. And I think people are just pissed off in general. So I'd say you're probably right.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: What percentage no to yes will be interesting. Mm. Um, but it's when is it? It's in March, is it?
0: Uh, March the 8th, International Women's Day, Sarah. Your, your, your big I day. F-
1: my favourite nonsense holiday of the year. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, 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 I would say, the the only thing is that they might get spooked by how badly it it ends up being. That might be interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, uh, and obviously the local elections coming up are going to dominate sort of the political. I mean, because one of the things I think that that happens in the Irish political system is that the politicians, when you and I were 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 growing up, and we're not that old. I don't want to sound like we're we're I mean, we're 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 in early middle age, both of us. But when we were sort of like in our teens and twenties. Canvassing outside of election time would have been sort of a de rigueur thing that a, that a conscientious TD does. I don't think there's much of it now. And I think I think the, the local elections are going to be the first time that a lot of politicians come face to face with voters in a while. Uh, and I think that has the real potential to sort of shift the sort of tone of our national debate.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I also think that even when politicians, depending on how famous you are, you know the more famous you are people are kind of almost less inclined to be honest with you mm-hmm. like i remember years ago um canvassing european elections and bertie was the Taoiseach and it was down around moore street you know mm-hmm. and um, i was ahead and the media were doing this junket and walking along with bertie and a big huge crowd of people um and uh I was standing with the, right beside the flower sellers and two of them were talking to it. and they were like, "Who's what's going on down there? Who's this? And one of them was like, oh my God, it's Bertie. And she was like, oh, that bollocks. I'm going to tell him this and I'm going to tell him that. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. There's all these journalists and video cameras and these two women are yards about Bertie and they're going to go for him when he comes along. And then he comes along and he's like, how is And they're like, ah, oh, how are you, Bertie? And they start kissing on him And I was like, yeah. what? yeah." So, so, I like. I think that a lot of politicians just they don't. They're not really, and especially because they have a media that's just so lovey dovey to them all the time as well. I think that they're in a very, very much in a bubble.
0: Yeah, and that, I would, I would, I would really agree weird. with. I would agree with almost everything you've said there. Anyway, that was sort of our take on the year that really was, and the year that is is yet to come. Um, any final thoughts, sir?
1: No, I think it was a funny all year, but I think. For, it's the first time on a lot of issues that i am beginning to think we might be in the majority so that's nice
0: heavens above i'm gonna to have to change and become a liberal i hate being in the majority I know. Um, um anyway well, look I, I just i want to finish by saying uh this podcast wouldn't exist without the people who listen to it and share it with their family and friends and come up to us and tell us that they listen to it and um i think sarah and i have both been really heartened this year by the number of you who've reached out to us either personally or privately or directly and uh, told us the value you get in it. It um, gives us a real sense of purpose. And uh, our listenership figures have grown substantially over the course of the year. So maybe that's just a generally reflective share of the trend and not personally reflective of our brilliance. But I suppose people's people's opinions may vary Column a lot.
1: A little from Column B. let's just say that.
0: Yeah, let's just say that. Anyway... Until uh, the first week in January when we'll be back, uh, I want to say goodbye to everybody and thank you all for listening during the year and we wish you and yours a wonderful, happy and peaceful Christmas and a new year that is better than the one we both seem to think that the government is meant to have. Until then, that was the week that really was.